Welcome to Quarantine Cocktail Hour. Gallington, the flaming sword. Doesn't really sound like a flaming sword. I don't know, does it? Maybe if you put it like in context, like uh, like if it were in the soundtrack to a movie from the same era, from the 40s, called the Flaming Sword. Maybe then, maybe then it's kind of got like a flaming sword feel to it. Duke Ellington course, one of the greatest composers, band leaders of the big band era of jazz, 
of course, one of the earliest eras of jazz, predating bebop and so on, and rocksteady. But that was kind of a different, that's actually a different genre. Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? I know who mine is. I digress. I never really appreciated big bands. For a lot of my life, my dad actually listened to a decent amount of big band music and I don't know, I thought I was always a little cheesy when I was a kid, but that was, was more into the rock. I liked things that rocked and rocked hard. The harder they rocked, the better everything else wasn't worth my time. It wasn't until much later, actually probably about the time I picked up that Duke Ellington record that I kind of just took it all in. The scope of big band jazz. One, it's real, it's, it's feel good music. It's from a time in America when the goal of music was kind of, with popular music at least, was to be uplifting, to, to buoy the spirits of the populace. Big band music certainly does that, and certainly fun, buoying music. But it's also pretty spectacular to think about, really. It's a composer leading a group of like eight to 12 musicians writing all of their pieces individually and putting it all together. I can't even really begin to comprehend the kind of musical intelligence it takes to to hear that in your brain and, and to put it all together for a group of people to play and when they play it it's so tight it's so good it's it's, it's not sloppy at all there it's not it's not a garage band these guys are professionals they are tight everything is right in time and when it drops out for someone to come in and play their solo in the pocket it drops out and they solo and then it comes right back in right on time thwack bow scronk it's amazing to think about really these are not classical musicians these are not musicians trained at Juilliard and, and these are these were jazz guys. These were black dudes who didn't really have access to that type of education, especially at the time in the late 30s and 40s. To think about that they'd be able to, to put that together, kind of just innate musical intelligence. This blows my mind. That song right there was actually recorded in New York City in 1940. So says the jacket sleeve. Can you imagine that? New York City in 1940? What was that even like? I have no idea. I imagine it's kind of like just death. The possibility of death around every corner, but also the possibility of a bright, shining future. But really, I mean, it's just, what, what was going on in New York City like? Sickness, robberies, what kind of, well, this must have just been completely out of control at that point, and completely alive, and incredible, also, I noticed The 
This, of course, is not New York City in the 1940s. This is Quarantine Cocktail Hour, and I am your host, Mark Beaver, coming to you now from the Snake River Plain in the high desert in southeast Idaho. It's a place and a time in history when one doesn't need to really consider the idea of their death, even in the middle of a global pandemic. Really not that seriously. I mean, probably has crossed the minds of folks a little bit more in the past year, but I think that I would assume that that our, our forebears who came, who came before us in this country had a much healthier relationship with their mortality as it just had to be a little bit closer and more imminent at all times. Don't get me wrong, I have no problem with the advances and technology and medicine and vaccines that have led to all of us being able to enjoy a relatively soft life without having to really confront the idea of death that much. But it is interesting to think about every now and then how people before us just probably had more of a relationship with the inevitable. It was a little dark, but it was all coming to me the other day. I was, I was out skiing in the backcountry. I usually don't go out solo, but I was having a hard time nailing anybody down. I had the day off of dad duty, and none of the other daddies did. Dang it. So I went to a little spot that I know it's pretty low angle and there are a couple other fellows out there and I talked to them. They seem to be pretty skookum on the snow science and we were kind of trading laps out there. And I'll tell you what, it was a gorgeous day and the snow was skiing real nice and I have been powder starved this season, if you haven't picked up on that. So I stayed out there a while, pretty much on my solo. I wasn't really running with those guys. We were kind of watching each other six, if you will, just kind of yo-yoing with each other. And after a while, it kind of got to that point where it's like uh, lap three, starting to feel a little bit tired on this hike. How much water do I have left? Run a little low. Man, that sun is bright today. It's coming from all angles. Above, bouncing off the snow. Up below, I think the bottom of my nose is getting sunburned. Wish I would have brought some snacks. I really only thought I was gonna do one lap back here. Oh man, though, this snow is skiing good. I'll just do one more lap. And so it goes. For a few more laps. And 
until finally I was hiking back up, looking at the bowl that we had been farming out. Saw the ridge line and skin track and realized the other fellows had popped back over the ridge line, probably gone back to their vehicle. No problem, we had no accord about waiting for each other, but sat there and took a minute, snagged a drink of water, feeling a little loopy. And I looked up at that wall of snow, much of it untouched. And I had a sudden eerie feeling kind of come over me. You know, the, the problem with avalanches and avalanche danger in skiing as compared to other sports is, well, let's put it this way. If you're surfing and you're looking out at 15 foot waves smashing down, you can see that, you can hear it thundering, echoing, and you think to yourself, dang, that looks violent. If you're kayaking, you know, you know where the, the class four is when you get out and you scout it and you think, dang, that thing's really boiling. And there's a strainer right below it. Maybe we should portage. You can see the danger, you see, even rock climbing. You can see it, it's there. You can see what is what is terrifying, what, what could kill you. The avalanches though, well that danger, that class four rapid, that 15 foot barrel smashing down on the beach break, well that is hidden underneath a giant blanket of pillowy mounds of soft powdery snow. The very thing that you came out there for. That's a tough, that's a tough jump to make, but I'll tell you what. When I was standing there and looking up and realizing I was all alone back there, I saw this bowl in front of me and it just kind of kept rising and rising and filling out on all sides like a massive tidal wave, stagnant, but at any moment, maybe it could break if it was touched in just the wrong spot, just around a shallow rock outcropping, just around a little convex rollover where it gets a little thin and a little bit steep. Might be just enough to step down and rip that whole thing out. And all of a sudden, I started feeling pretty dang small. And I started thinking about things like my wife and my kid, my family and my friends. Seems a little morbid, but it was kind of therapeutic in a way to sit there and look at something face to face that, well, could possibly take your life and just kind of 
Consider all those things that you cherish. Friends old, friends new, people you haven't seen, things you haven't done. Kind of come to terms with it for a little bit as your ego dissolves and you're humbled in the shadow of the mountain while you slog your way up to the ridge line. I'll tell you what, I ran out of water and I didn't have any snacks and the sun was shining and by the time I hit the ridge line on that last lap, I was about out of my mind. You ever get there? Just about to, a little pre-bunk. Pre it's like, I've been having a lot of fun. Adrenaline's still kind of in there. Dopamine is kind of still dripping a little bit just from the excitement. Getting exercise and being 9,000 feet drenched in cosmic rays. I tell you what, man, that's a freebie. That's a freebie when you get one of those. You just gotta kinda soak it in. Let it, let it kind of wash over you. So I'll tell you what, you don't get that freebie too often, and it is a strange brew.
rocking set, huh? Ooh. I've been rocking lately. I've been feeling a little rock and roll lately, you know? Things come in waves. Sometimes you just feel like, like, like rocking. Starting us off. Not their most rocking song. Cream. Strange Brew. Same cream that gave us Sunshine of Your Love and White Room. Some of the most essential rockin' riffs of all time, but they're also huge fans of early blues masters, Robert Johnson, Muddy Waters, especially Clapton. And they're one of those bands who actually incorporate a lot of those riffs, probably that one right there in Strange Brew, and to some degree was at least influenced by the early bluesmen. Some cream did was they would they would always acknowledge those those influences or even even if they took part of a song they would always put it in, in the credits you'd see that on the back of the record sleeve Robert Johnson we credit the guy a lot of the bands that came out of the British invasion were extremely influenced by American blues music. They would get records that would come back mostly on military ships that would go far and the British seamen would exchange vinyls and bring them back to the aisles. And that's where people first start hearing riffs and that you'll hear in a lot of the early British invasion music, Stones, Cream, the Animals, Beatles, all of them. Most most of the time, they would at least give the people a nod. Not always, though, and they were definitely making a lot of money off music born of the black experience in America. Those British rock bands, though, I mean, they did change the entire face of music. Went on to inspire decades of rock and roll afterwards. Take, for instance, that second band there, Endless Boogie, with Taking Out the Trash. Man, that song, that song, that song's a party. Am I wrong? Doesn't that song just make you like, I mean, you just want to get torched on the porch, right? And just hang out, drink some cheap beer, blow up some cheap swag, smoke a couple cigarettes, maybe throw some stuff off the porch, maybe fall off the porch. I don't know. It seems like it just, it's all there. It's like, I think there's one line when he says, talking about the party, that the place was mentholated. You can you can feel the air in that place. It's rocking. You don't know Endless Boogie, which a lot of people don't. You should check them out. They are totally rad. Doing kind of a throwback, rowdy, dirty bar rock type of thing. That's I think kind of out of out of vogue with the youth, but. Man, it's good for a good time, you know, when you just feel like rocking out on a Friday night. Throw on some Emblem's Boogie. You do that. That 
last band in that set, another band that probably influenced the likes of Endless Boogie, obviously the mighty Led Zeppelin with Bring It On Home. You know, I only actually own one Led Zeppelin record on vinyl, Led Zeppelin 2. Yeah, why'd I choose that song? Because you've heard a whole lot of love and ramble on. And some of the other songs are a little bit, a little bit even too hard for quarantine cocktail hour. I wanted something with a little bit of that swing and rock and blues crunch. You know, that record that I do have, number two, I didn't even buy, but it was the first record that I ever owned. My oldest sister bought it for me at a garage sale just because she knew I liked Zeppelin this was when I was like 17 I didn't even have a record player I just hung it up in my room I just hung up the Zeppelin record and worshipped it when you open it up the actual the, the two sleeves create a double paned rectangular piece of art inside that is like a, a golden Zeppelin above a marble monolith of sorts. It is very worship worthy and a fit perfect above a door in between the door and the ceiling right there. I love Led Zeppelin, man. I always have from the first time I heard when the levee breaks, Bonzo's drums just hammering down on me like a avalanche of rock and roll. I was taken. I was smitten. And I always have been, man. I always have been. But you know, more and more in the last few years on podcasts and media, I, I hear swarmy millennial hipsters kind of canceling Zeppelin. Talking a lot of trash about Zeppelin. Their reasons being a couple. One, that Zeppelin kind of became an embodiment of the massive, glitzy, ridiculous rock and roll lifestyle, right? Taking like full-on 747s between gigs with trashing the whole top floor of hotel rooms, just complete excess and massive stadium shows. It's kind of, it's kind of, antithetical to the entire punk rock philosophy, right? And a lot of punk rockers kind of, maybe even loved Led Zeppelin, you know, like kind of killed that idol and started over, if you will. And there, there is that part to it. And the other part, I think has a little more teeth, is that Zeppelin didn't really credit the early blues guys that they stole a lot of those riffs from. And that's just the truth, man. That's just a hard truth to swallow. They stole a lot of riffs. They even covered songs and didn't credit the original writers of the songs. It's a pretty shady move. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's not enough for me to cancel Zeppelin. You know, the same kind of things happened to the Doors as well, just because Jim Morrison was, in real life, a complete tool and 
debatably wrote shitty poetry. Either way, I can tell you that I can, I can take those things and I can compartmentalize them. I know they exist and I can deal with them. I can reckon with them. I can do my own research on those things and, and determine my own feelings. And, and yeah, I don't, I don't worship at the Temple of Zeppelin anymore. And I don't hold the Lizard King on any type of pedestal, but I'll tell you what, when I hear Zeppelin, or even when I hear the doors, it sounds cool, man. It sounds cool. And I can do that. I can, I can compartmentalize those things. I can, I can address them and have a different relationship with them and still move forward. I think that's a lot of the problem with cancel culture right now is that, well, I mean, it sucks. It's a bad way to go about things, right? And it just pisses off the other side and makes them auger in even deeper. And it happens with obviously everything more than just rock and roll bands. I mean, we're seeing it at its height right now in our country. Some things need to be canceled, right? To some degree. We don't need statues of Confederate generals in town squares. Those statues could be in museums, like a, a Civil War museum where people can learn about those historical figures and also about the impact and the context of what they stood for, right? But then that same ideal kind of boils over into things like, uh, say, the Teddy Roosevelt Noble Savage statue, where on one hand you got the, uh, the same group of people who are tearing down every other monument that maybe needs to be put in a different place, turning their attention to that one. What? Nope. Huh? Noble Savage? There's racism behind it? Was, it? was Teddy Roosevelt racist? Tear it down. Tear it down. Get it out of there. In fact, screw Teddy Roosevelt. Tear his dumb mustache face off Mount Rushmore while we're at it. Done with that guy. Don't know what he did. Otherwise. You know, that really, that's going to really auger in a lot of other people who aren't even confederate supporters but that, but that makes them auger in on the other side like well Teddy Roosevelt that's a national hero and that's just one step too far I won't stand for that I will not stand for that he is a national hero in reality Teddy Roosevelt was a complicated character a complicated piece of the American story yeah he did a lot for conservation and lands, and he also basically robbed most Western Native Americans of their traditional lands in many ways. And really, if you dug deep enough, I'm sure you could find such contradictory aspects of everybody, every president, every social justice leader, every evil authoritarian even probably had a couple good things they were trying to do quite possibly 
you can hear about these things and you can either jump on one side or jump on the other side because those are zones of safety, if you will. They're, they're life rafts where a entire group of ardent supporters will help you, will help pull you aboard and, and, and echo your ideas louder and louder, deeper and deeper. Or you can tread out into the middle and you can, you can listen to both sides and you can try to really look up information for yourself and then reckon with that information. How does it make you feel? Is it enough for you to tear down that statue? Is it enough for you to cancel that band? Or does it leave you somewhere like, you know, maybe I'm not gonna worship that band anymore, but I can still enjoy listening to them. I can recontextualize my relationship with that thing, you know? But people don't want to be there. People don't want to be treading out in the middle trying to figure out how to build their own boat. It's so much safer to be on one of those big old life rafts, right? I honestly couldn't even tell you if what I'm saying right now will draw ire from certain people. I can't even tell you that I won't change my mind on some of the subjects that I'm talking about today. I mean, I've changed my mind on music in the past. I've become more open. I've closed off to some things. I've changed my mind about politicians. I've changed my mind about cultural figures. I mean, in the context of history changes, even things that maybe at the time seemed like the best path forward or the most logical decision can pan out to have egregious outcomes many years later and, and we can deal with that. We don't have to stand by the fact that we thought it was a great decision. That's all the information we had at the time. Information moves fast. Life evolves. I mean, language evolves context and power of even certain words changes over time and on one hand you might have a, a group that is quick to jump on anything that could be deemed in the slightest way offensive to anybody without listening to the context of the argument well on the other side you have people digging in just on the basis of that's not offensive to me, so I don't know why it's offensive to you. Therefore, I'm gonna double down and be a real dick now just to prove something. And man, there's a whole lot of gray area in the middle that's real scary. It's really easy to get lost in, but don't get me wrong. I think you should be able to think and say whatever you believe. But I also think you should be held accountable for that. If you're going to say something asinine and offensive, 
expect to be called on it. And you should have to explain your reasoning. And if your reasoning is simply because it's my right, well, then maybe you should be canceled. Maybe you should be forgotten. Because on the other hand, I don't believe it's very progressive just to dogpile on everyone who says anything that could be construed even slightly in an offensive manner without at least hearing them out and listening to the conversation. That's just blind tribalism. And that also has failed over the years. Life is weird. We live in a weird time. Life's too short to care too much and too long to care too little. Most of us want to have some kind of impact while we're here, but we're too lazy. It's too hard to go out into that dark, scary abyss and figure out how to build our own raft. But how do you want to go through life? What do you want your impact to be? How do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? I'd say do what you got to do. It doesn't matter where you end up on that spectrum, really. Just do it with intention and purpose and without fear of treading in the gray water. A lot of people are scared to do that. A lot of people are scared at the gray area. They don't want to leave this earth sitting in limbo. Sitting here in limbo But I know it won't be long Sitting here in limbo Like a bird without a song
Sitting in limbo, Jimmy Cliff, off the Heart of the Come original soundtrack. Not my favorite song on that soundtrack. Actually, maybe my least favorite song, but I mean, it, it fit really well, right? It's like the whole, the whole thing we're doing here. The whole thing we're doing on this very special episode of Quarantine Cocktail Hour. It's been a little bit heavy tonight, I know. It's just, I guess, it's just where I am. It's just what I'm thinking about, you know? About mortality, life, how to live a life well-lived, worth living. I don't know if it's just because I'm getting older or because there's a global pandemic or because I'm reading Ivan the Iliak by Tolstoy, which is about coming to grips with your own mortality, or the fact that I recently talked to a financial advisor who talked at great lengths about life insurance, or maybe it's just 
that another one of my favorite rappers passed away. Earlier this year, January 1st, we heard about the passing of MF Doom, the great underground force of nature. Turns out he actually passed away on Halloween of 2020. And just no one said anything about it. His family didn't say anything until New Year's Day. And didn't release the cause of death. Which they probably know by now, but also that's just completely fitting for MF Doom. A guy who had early success under a different rap name with KMD in the early days. And then tragically lost his brother a member of KMD. Doom kind of spun out, disappeared. Actually, reports of people seeing him sleeping on park benches in Atlanta with only a suitcase of records by his side. But anyway, Doom reemerged years later with the alter ego, MF Doom, donning a metal gladiator's mask, which he wore always, never taking it off never exposing his real name, even at times letting up-and-comer rappers put on his mask and go on stage in his stead just so they could get the experience. <laughs> what a weirdo. I love that guy. Love you, MF Doom. Rest in peace. But maybe even more of a hit to me was just a few days ago, the passing of Mike Turner, known as Double K. Half of People Under the Stairs. People Under the Stairs have been on this show, and I've talked about them. They are one of the most influential hip-hop groups in my life. Extremely prolific hip-hop duo from L.A., relying on jazz and funk samples, either keeping it light and laid back or fun and groovy and always kind of rapping about the fun, about partying, about having a good time, about just embracing the good life. In an interview with the LA Times a few years ago, Double K actually kind of spoke to this growing up in LA, he said, you know, I was surrounded by negativity. You know, gangs, violence, drugs, even even a lot of the rap was just all negative, but he just felt that positivity inside of him, and, and that's just how he wanted to live, and he found a way to do that through music. And you know, that's another, that's another truth to live, you know, you don't gotta, you don't gotta jump on either one of the poles of free speech, your free speech can just be your truth, and your truth can be just living the good life, man. You can just be finding your way to spread positivity and happiness through your life. And Double K was unabashedly full of that. I'll tell you what, man, I remember in college, my buddy and I had our last class of the week together. Thursday afternoon, got done at five o'clock, 
kind of before everyone else was ready to party, but we were always ready to start the weekend right there, you know? And we kind of made a ritual. And right after class, we'd run back to my house, affectionately known as The Hole, which was the bottom level of a duplex built into the ground, kind of like a hole, kind of like a hobbit hole. But I had a huge, nasty 70s kitchen, and we would go get Long Island iced tea mix because people under the stairs wrapped about Long Islands or Strong Islands quite often. And we'd get out on Thursday before our friends, and we would go get our Long Island iced tea, we'd go back to the hole, we'd throw on people under the stairs, mix ourselves some big, tall Long Islands, and we'd just get down in the kitchen. We'd just dance, the two of us. We'd just swig and dance and get ready to cut loose after a long week. A long four-day week. In that same interview, Double K went on to say part of the reason they were retiring after their 20-somethingth album was he was getting a little too old just to keep rapping about partying. You know what? That's okay. We all get there. Or maybe we should get there if we haven't. For some of you, that, that whole idea might not even really compute for what was your 20-something self. But have some empathy and just listen to the last two tracks here. There is nothing I have ever heard that sums up lyrically or in vibe the excitement of looking forward to just cutting loose after all the problems of the world and the week have been weighing you down. Love that positivity, man. Love that, like, looking forward to living the good life, you know? Not so bad. Thanks, Double K. Thanks for showing us how to do it. Tonight we're going out with a double shot. My two favorite songs off my favorite album, OST. Song, Sweet for Beaver, part one and part two. Was it made for me? I don't know. But play it at my funeral anyway. Be easy.
I live an analog lifestyle, sometimes it's wild. I wake up to see the sun, to hear my thoughts start to pile up. Man, it's rough being a young, cool man. Don't want to hear nobody trying to tell me what they're thinking at. Thinking and shaming, thinking that they're jamming and not. It's a hot day, so I proceed to go my way. Out of contact, turn up the beats and start to zone out. The phone was ringing. I knocked the phone out, I'm about to phone out. I need a little ism for my Friday. Hit my nigga up, told him I'm on my way. But before I got where I was going, pages started flowing. This freak from around the way, the bitch was mind blowing. But no time for her, I'm on some cool out shit. Caught my bag, hit the pass it back and watch the loops flip. I'm in the middle of a head now, when all of a sudden, the power went off. Soon as I hit the kick button, now, double K, ain't afraid of no ghosts. And I know I ain't tripping off this Bombay smoke. I'm about to post and keep flowing till my mind is shut. But yo, that was real weak right there. It's been one of those weeks, stressing frequently. Scratching up money, paying rent and DWP. My girl mood swinging, acting funny, didn't test her. Left for the studio, but broke a compressor. Rocked the show on Tuesday, promoted it and paid. He said, y'all never work again in this city of L.A. So the middle finger I flipped, and then my jeans ripped. I ordered Jumbo Jack, but they gave me fish and chips. That was last night, and now I'm like ready to drink. Forget the dirty laundry and the dishes in the sink. Cause the party life is like nothing else. And if you got a a lot of problems, put your shit on the shelf and let yourself go. I felt no worries as I slid out south to Crescent Heights where the double stay hit out on the block and I arrive. Walk in, jive, talk in, slap a low five. It's time for the party live.
Smoking BDs in the back with the bases. The place is packed, doubly stacked with ladies of nice acid. The only ice rock is in glasses. I move on, the DJ rocks a new song. People flood in the dance floor just to get their groove on. To that old funky and tough, the speaker bump up. JB horns blowing, they throwing some black stuff. And the crowd goes nuts like a disco dream. Series are for best candle lit, table is clean. The brown wicked chair looking like Al Green. Sitting back, legs crossed, straight checking out the scene. Crowd looking and slinging to Eddie Bow while I'm walking to the bar, cause my drink's getting low. I need a Long Island iced tea, double no ice. Something fruity for these two cuties, cause they look nice. And they whisper, her friend called me Mr. That's one of the pieces she's getting geek, so I kissed her on the cheek, double step in. Yeah, what's up, y'all? I see these pretty dudes eyeballing from the wall and I step back. This is a family party, we don't have ill, so I'ma tell these young pucks that they gots to chill. Whoa, they say the bigger the headache, the bigger the pill. People under the staircase drop, you feel? I'm smelling like dope and I'm shooting for more. Eyes glued to the nicky, moving slow on the floor. I say she hella sexy and her friends were remarkable. Conversation was rolled up, yeah, sparkable. But wait, here come my nigga from the big bad heights. Said he had to stash the east so it won't be no fights. See, real niggas do it right, cause we partying, y'all. Don't need no flowers on the wall, I need a glass to talk. Full of the strong island, they get the KK wildin'. I spot this one with some freaks and they smiling. I slide to the bar, being the coolest, you did. To my man the usual, plus a shop for the kid. He did his bartender drizzle, got my order in it. Jiffy spotted suckers looking cool, like they wanna get with me. But man, hey, I ain't gonna switch those guys. You know what I'm saying? They don't, they don't even know. You know? Check all the out, girls. <laughs> uh-huh. So they can see what we Alright, Yo. See, this is my house, and I know everybody here. We all bubbly like the beginning of the year. On the eve, turn that shit off. I ride rougher than that. My pride's tougher than that. My niggas kicking raps in the corner. I jump in like hip hop. Hip it to the you don't quit. Double mic is legit. I get pounds from my friends. I do the flavor, flavor, not jet. They get my whistle wet, but oops, I couldn't forget. Yo, remember that light skin, big freak of the week? Walked up feeling like one of the members are sick. I said, baby, I'm full of good times. Let me touch your funny bone. Is it cool if we go home together? Whatever, she smiled. Yo, I could tell she was playful like a child. I grabbed her hand, said, come on, it's time to party down. You know?
Music was meant to uff, up, 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 uplift. What the fuck? Mountain high.